Well, it was the second weekend talking about uh, being the church. Last week we talked about uh, being a faithful church. And today we're going to talk about the witness of a, a healthy church and a faithful church. And I want to begin by just uh, sharing with you some thoughts and ask you if you realize the significance behind these. Do you have any idea what 750,000 miles long and reaches around the earth 30 times and grows 20 miles longer each day? It's the number of lost people who do not know Jesus Christ as Savior. Research tells us that three people die every second. And if that's true, there's some alarming figures that follow. That means 180 people die every minute. 10,800 people die every hour, 259,000 people die every day, and 94 million, over 94 million people die every year. And of the 7.1 billion people on the face of the earth today, we're told that perhaps two-thirds of them have never heard of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that means that there are almost 64 million people then who die every year without ever hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. If the world population at 7.1 billion, if that's where it is today, and of course you've got to realize it's always in flux of people dying and people being born, but about 7.1 billion or so today, if that world population should somehow remain steady and not change at all, not change at all, no growth at all, at the current rate that we are evangelizing the world, it would take over 4,000 years for us to reach the current population on the face of the earth. We can't wait that long. The population is not going to sit still. The population is going to grow. It's going to increase. Campus Crusade for Christ recently had an a, uh, information sheet out that told us that approximately 98% of all believers have never introduced anybody else to their Savior. Let me follow that up by saying to you that unchurched Americans think that believers are weird. Now, not for some of the reasons that you might think. That because we have an intolerant faith that says there's only one way to heaven, that's not what they say is weird about us. What they say is weird is that if we have this wonderful, dear, precious Savior, why don't we talk to them about their spiritual life and share this Savior with them? That's what's weird about being a believer, being a Christ follower, and singing about and, and thinking about and worshiping this wonderful Savior of ours and never sharing him with anybody. That is weird, isn't it? That is weird. Here's a little bit of a warning sign for us. When a church turns 40 years of age, normally this is a pattern, that the attendance typically begins to drop at the rate of 2% per year. And, and roughly... 1% of American churches, that's 3,700, close their doors every year. Now, there's a little bit of a sign there of warning to us at Spring Valley. We are approaching 35 years as a church, and soon we'll be 40. And we've already seen a little decline in our attendance pattern. And we're told that, well, in today's culture, today's society, if people come twice a month, because of all other kind of activities, you have to count them as regular attenders. And that's basically their pattern. You have to live with it. And then the reality is that everybody's lifestyle is so hectic and so demanding that if people come to a church function during the week, then sometimes, we've laughed about it in the past, but sometimes it's true that then they say, 
when Sunday rolls around, well, I went last, I went Thursday night to something. I don't have to go today. And then if we're not reaching people by sharing our faith to them and leading them out of darkness into the kingdom of light, we can't expect to grow. So we need to look both within the life of ourselves and the life of the church and look at our own commitment to the Lord expressed through faithful activity and involvement in the life of the church, especially worship of God, because that's what allows us to find our strength and encouragement from Him as we worship Him. And we also need to look then at at what we're doing with our faith. Do our neighbors know that we believe? Do they know where we go on Sunday mornings? Are are we concerned about their well-being? The bottom line is we have to be intentional about reaching out to others. So obviously today we're talking about those dreaded words, outreach and evangelism. And probably two that Baptists don't like to hear, two words that are so important, is the issue of, and I'll put two words in each category, tithing and stewardship. You just don't feel comfortable about that. What, the, what, what we say about your money is not any of our business. Well, it is. It's God's business. He tells you in His Word how you're supposed to live with it, and how you're supposed to manage it, and how you're supposed to give it to His glory. So tithing and stewardship are over here that you don't like. And probably tied for 1A is then those dreaded words, witnessing and evangelizing. You know, you feel frightened about doing that. Or you say, well, I don't want to be mandated to do that. Listen, God tells you that in His Word. So let me make it simple for you. What is evangelism? There have been all kinds of definitions out there. You know, one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. Well, let me put it to you simply what evangelism is. Evangelism is simply telling people that God loves them. I mean, that's pretty simple, isn't it? You know somebody who does not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, then the simplest message that you can say to them, the simplest basic way to begin a conversation is to let them know that God loves you. God loves you, and that's the most simple way that you can describe evangelism. Letting people know about God's love. And the the interesting thing about being a witness for our faith in Jesus Christ, and today with so many religions around us, the pluralism in our culture today, I think it's important that we say our faith in Jesus Christ, because there are multiple faiths out there that people are talking about. But we need to make sure that as we share our faith in Christ that we realize that God wants to use us just the way we are. We don't have to use a voice that sounds like Billy Graham. We don't have to use a message that somebody else has used. You just simply tell your story and you do it the way you are because that's real. And that's being relevant and relating to our culture. So one of the major things that we are called to do as Christ followers is that we are to share that wonderful good news that we have found in Jesus Christ with other people who do not know it. Their eternal destiny is at stake. There are millions of people in this country who do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. There have got to be people in your culture, where you live, your world, where you know there are people without Jesus Christ, and we're called, we're mandated to share that good news. Now, why should we be involved in and concerned about the spiritual well-being of other people? Well, let me give you a few good reasons. First of all, it's because God loves people. God loves people. Second Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is patient, not wanting anyone to perish, but wants everyone to come to repentance. See, God loves people. That's why He created us in the very beginning. He said He wanted to have fellowship with us. He wanted to have a relationship with us. And so he created us because he loved us. 
Now, we got a problem. we got a problem with sin. And the only way we can have a relationship with God is through Jesus Christ who takes away that sin. And so, we also have to remember John 3.16. That tells us, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. You see, that's the depth of God's love for people that He created. And God loves people. God loves you and He does not want you to die in your sins. He loves your neighbors. He loves your family. He loves your friends. He loves you. And we need to be involved in the spiritual lives of other people because God loves them. Secondly, we need to be involved in in people's lives spiritually because Jesus commands us to do that. He commands us to reach out as His witnesses. In Acts 1-8, shortly before He ascended back into the glories of heaven to take His rightful position there, He said to his disciples, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So we are called upon to start where we are and to begin to focus on the fact that we are empowered with the Holy Spirit and that we are to be involved in the lives of people and talk to them with great concern as we build relationships with them and have the privilege to share with them about faith in Jesus Christ. Let me give you a third reason why we ought to be concerned about the spiritual well-being of others. And that's because church growth is mandated by God's will. In Ephesians 4, uh, the Apostle Paul wrote and said, Instead, speaking the truth in love, we are in all things to grow up into Him who is the head, that is Christ. From Him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Now see, that's talking about growth from within that we grow spiritually and mature so that we have a knowledge of Scripture and we have the drive and we have the the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in our life so that when those opportunities come around for us to be able to share our faith in Christ, we're ready to do that. And, And that's a part of God's plan because that's reaching out to other people to grow His kingdom. And his church is a part of it. Jesus came to establish the church. And Jesus died for the church. He sacrificed his life for the church. That's how important the church is to Jesus. When Jesus revealed to the disciples that he was going to establish the church, what did he say about the endurance of the church? He said, the gates of Hades shall not prevail against my church. Now, there might be churches that close and go out of business because they're not faithful. But God's church, his true people, his church worldwide will reign. Ultimately, it will reign. And the gates of hell will not succeed against this church. Now, let's take our thought about that a little bit in another way. Let me ask you a question that ought to be 100% answered in the same way. Everybody ought to agree with this, okay? I'm going to look for hands. How many of you have ever been to a Walmart or to a Sam's Club? Let's see the hands. Is there anybody in here who has not made a trip to Walmart or Sam's Club? You bought something from there. All right, you see, what you did was you fulfilled part of the vision that Sam Walton had when he had a vision for establishing Walmart. He wanted to reach the consumer of America. He started out with one Walmart in 1962 in Roger, Arkansas. And by 1967, he had 24 stores in Arkansas. The sales that year reached $12.6 million. By 2005, sales had reached $312 billion and 3,200 stores in America. 
Walmart now has a vision that is worldwide. They want, this is a vision, they want now to capture the consumer market of the world. You see, they have a product and they sell it. And they do a good job of it. And we buy it. You know you've been to Walmart too many times when the greeters greet you by name. And I've had that happen before. I've had that happen. I remember one year about uh, December 23rd, Cookie and I were there and we were wrapping up some, some we thought, the last of our shopping. And uh, Cookie said, well, I think that takes care of everything. And I didn't say a word and they just bagged the stuff up and the guy handed it to me and he said, we'll see you tomorrow, Mr. Winburn. And I said, okay. Well, see, God has a vision, like Sam Walton had. God has a vision for people, for the spread of his church. He wants to capture the hearts of people around the world. That's a simple plan. He says in Matthew 28, 19 through 20, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of of the age. That's our, that's our mandate. To be involved in the spiritual lives of other people. Now, God intends for us as his people to be involved in evangelism, telling people that God loves you. And we find a great example of a church that did that as we go back and we look at 1 Thessalonians. Last week, we looked at them as being a faithful church. And today, we're going to look at them being a, the witness of a faithful church. They were a healthy church. Now, last week we just focused on verse 3 out of 1 Thessalonians 1. And we saw three phrases that tell us how uh, they were faithful and what had happened. It was because of, of their labor uh, produced by faith, their labor produced by love, and their endurance inspired by hope. Now, I want us to look at that same first chapter of 1 Thessalonians and begin in verse 4 and look at the end of that chapter. End of that chapter. So, he says, For we know, brothers, chosen Loved by God that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and with deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord in spite of severe suffering. You welcomed the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you. Not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it. For they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Now, there are at least three things in here, I think, that we find describing the witness uh, of this church. And I think they're worth, very worth noting because it gives us a pattern, I think, as to how we today can, can have a witness as a faithful church as well. First of all, they were confident in who they were. They had a confident faith, and they were confident in who they were. In verse 5, Paul says, Because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. You see, the, 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 the gospel it comes to us through the power of the Holy Spirit. And it doesn't make us meek, it makes us bold. It makes us confident in our faith. When Paul preached the gospel in Thessalonica, 
He preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. And these Thessalonians heard him. They heard the power behind him. They heard it. They believed it. And they accepted it. And they accepted that gospel in spite of great affliction and persecution. And and Paul says they did so with joy. And the gospel came to them and came over them in power through the Holy Spirit and with deep conviction. Verse 9 is very significant because it tells us that they came to Christ out of idol worship. We have a, there were a lot of idols back then that were more visible than we have today. I mean, there were literally idols made out of brass and bronze and gold and metal of all kinds and other things that were literally carved or, or uh, molded and shaped images that were idols that people actually prayed to. Today we've got our own idols. And sometimes it's fame and sometimes it's money and sometimes it's power and sometimes it's position and prestige. You know, we even got a show that most people go crazy over, and that's American Idol, finding new talent. But we have a lot of idols as well. But listen to the key part. He says, they tell us how you turned to God from idols to serve the living God. Let me give you a simple illustration of that. I find that the original source of it, I think, was from J. Vernon McGee, I think a Presbyterian pastor from long, long ago. That he used this illustration. If you put your hand in front of your face like this, and I like to use it with the back part, your knuckles in the back part of your hand um, to you. And, and, and let this represent you in totality. And this, my eyes, your eyes as you look at that, be God. Right now you're turned away from God. That's in rebellion and that's in sin. But when you come to hear that gospel and you, you respond with faith, then you turn. And a beautiful way to illustrate that is simply by turning your hand to where it's now open and facing God. And I like to look at it this way because here is that hand that's open facing God and it's open to receive from God the the gift of salvation and the power of the Holy Spirit and all the gifts that God promises to give to us. And it's a simple matter. That's a simple way to describe salvation to one of your friends. Doesn't matter where you are, how old they are. It's just like that. So put your hand in front of your face with your knuckles facing you. See, that's you without God. Your hand out here is open to the world. Any and everything comes there. But turn this way to God. Just a simple turn. And you come back to God in conviction and repentance and in faith. And you embrace the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a perfect way of illustrating that truth. And these Thessalonians came to God in such a way that they were confident in their faith through the boldness and power of the Holy Spirit. And because of that, they had no fear in sharing their faith. They had no fear in telling their story. See, most of us give one of those answers, well, why aren't you you sharing your faith or telling others about your belief in Jesus? Because I'm afraid. I don't know enough. I'm afraid that I mess it up. You know, I'm, I'm just afraid I might offend them. I'm afraid I might lose a relationship. You know, if you're afraid you're going to lose a relationship, you better be thinking about the fact if they die and go to hell, you're going to lose them forever. Because they're going to die if they die without Christ. And don't worry about being offended. Because God says they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. He's already prepared us for that. But if you really live in a confident faith, then you don't have any fear for speaking up about your faith. Now, here's the second thing that was characteristic of this church and their witness. And that is that they were consistent in their lifestyle. I I think this really needs to be hammered home. I got a lot of things that bother me. 
about some of the, the lifestyles of believers and even some of the lifestyles that are proclaimed from the pulpit as being okay and acceptable today. My understanding is that when the gospel comes into your life, it's a radical transformation and you're a new person. You start life over. You begin as a babe. You start over. You have to grow. And you got to develop different disciplines in your life. And that means you just don't add Jesus to your life to have this best friend. And you have a Savior and that. And you just add him to everything else in your life. It means that he is the very center of your life. And he changes your life from the inside out. And that affects your lifestyle. In verse 7, Paul says, You became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. You see, they were faithful as witnesses and in their lifestyle because they were confident in their faith. The word model is an interesting one there. It's used to uh, describe like was done in ancient times where you would mark uh, with a symbol on another piece of uh, material, particularly maybe a metal that could be imprinted, or maybe with a seal on, on hot wax, and there it was, there was that imprint, and it was modeled there. Paul is telling the Thessalonians that they have left an indelible impression on the world around them because they dared to be different. They were consistent in their Christian lifestyle. They were models of integrity in the Christian faith. Oh, we've got a lot of models today. You got sports figures, you got TV actors, you got movie personalities, you got musicians, you got politicians. Any kind of model you want, you can find in our culture today. But what our culture really needs are believers in Christ, Christ followers, who model the integrity of, I believe, what is the life God called us to live as a Christ follower. Now, when Christ called his early disciples, He said, come follow me and I will make you to be what? Fishers of men. In other words, he's talking about, we're going to to catch a harvest of, of people. That's what we're concerned about. Well, let me take that analogy a little bit deeper. If we're called to be fishers of men, then we can call ourselves then spiritual or Christian ichthyologists. Because I think ichthyology is a study of fish life. Now, what it tells us about fish is that there are two basic things that all fish have in common. Uh, besides living in water and breathing through gills. And those two things they have in common is they have poor eyesight until they get up real close on something. And number two is that they don't have eyelids and so their eyes are constantly open. Now, what does that little bit about fishing have to say? Well, I think there's some information there if you're really interested in fishing for fish. You've got to get the bait where they can see it, you know, and they can, you know, catch a glimpse of it. You've got to put it close to where they are. And they're always on the watch for something. Well, the same thing applies to those who do not know Christ. They are more ready to hear the gospel and to receive the gospel when you get close enough to them in a relationship that you can share with them the basic facts about Christianity. That God loves you, but you've sinned. God loves you enough that he sent Jesus Christ to die for your sin. And your sins can be forgiven. And you can live in a relationship with God as you confess Christ as your Savior. Now, here's the second thing. Their eyes are always open. And that means that they're always going to be watching you as Christ followers to make sure that who you say you are matches up with what you do. That who you say you are is compatible with your lifestyle. Paul said about these Thessalonians, they were a model to all the people around them. And and, and the result was they were winning people to Christ left and right. People wanted what they had. 
Now, here's the third thing I see about them, and that is that they were bold in communicating the gospel. I love verse 8. The Lord's message rang out from you. Not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about that. In other words, Paul says, I don't need to chastise you for not being a witness in church and for sharing your faith. But the message of Christ rang out from you. And that word rang out is used only here in the New Testament. And it literally describes the reverberating sound of an echo. Now, if you've ever heard an echo, you go to the mountains or somewhere or a canyon or whatever, and, and it says Echo Canyon, and, and you holler something out there, you hear it echo. Do you hear it echo just one time? No. You hear it go as it reverberates through that canyon or through that mountain or whatever, and it just keeps on going. And that's what Paul said is their message about Jesus Christ rang out. And the verb usage that he uses there says it is a past action with continual uh, significance and consequence. That when you proclaim the gospel of Christ, it is the seed, it is the word of God that will not return unto him until it has accomplished what he sent it out to purpose. And so these Macedonians shared the message of Christ by letting it ring out from them in the boldness and confidence of their faith and their lifestyle. Now, you know, sometimes when we talk about witnessing evangelism, sharing our faith in Christ. We talk about winning the world to Christ. And I think that's where a lot of us get stumped because we say, if the world is 7.1 billion people, how in the world am I supposed to do that? What part am I supposed to play in that? Well, I want to get you to think small today. And for the rest of the year 2014, I want you to think small. I want you to not think about the 7.1 billion people in the world and the entire world. But I just want you to think about your world where you live, the people in your world, uh, what makes up your world by the life pattern that you live, where you go, where you go to school, where you shop, where you recreate, where you get your car worked on, all those kinds of things. And you look at your world and then you look at the people in that world. And I want you to think even smaller. Here's what I want you to do for this year, 2014. I want you to think small about reaching people. I want you to set a goal of reaching one person this year. That you will build a relationship with one person, whether it's in your family, whether it's in your community, whether it's your neighborhood, whether it's at work, or wherever it might be. That you'll build a relationship with one person. And you will live your lifestyle as a model so that they will be open to hear from you the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you say, okay, what's the benefit in thinking small? Well, I think if we try to think too big, we get defeated. We have that fear that creeps in and we're not confident in our faith. But look around us and say, okay, if we average, say, 650 in worship, and every one of us, 650, will have to build that relationship to share the gospel with one person, and we reached only one person, 650 lives would be changed. So I want you to think small. I want you to think small and think about one person in the window of your world. Will you do that? You see, that's the challenge to be a witness as a faithful, healthy church. 
Father, we bow before you. We thank you. We thank you for today for being our God. We thank you for loving us and sending Jesus Christ that he would die for us, for our sins. When we didn't even know you, when we lived in rebellion against you. And thank you, Father, for the gospel that forgives our sins and gives us a new heart and a new life, a new birth, a new way of living. Father, put a burden on our heart for those around us who do not know the joy of salvation and the joy of a relationship with you and have not yet discovered the fact that God really does love them and sent Jesus Christ to show that love. Help us to have a focus on at least one person with whom we can build a relationship and share the gospel message so that they can come to know truly that you love them. So, Father, I pray that you will give us the confidence as a church to do that and the boldness to speak about faith in Jesus Christ. And I pray it all in his name, for his sake, and for his glory. Amen.